children. Well, as I have been saying, it is so good to be together with you as a body of believers. We have been going through the seven churches of Revelation and looking at what Jesus is saying to each individual church in Revelation 2 and Revelation 3. Today we find ourselves in the, uh, the church of Sardis as Jesus is speaking some tough words to this church. And as I was reading through this scripture, my mind automatically went to uh, an old movie from the late 90s called The Matrix. Now, many of you might know about The Matrix. It is this, this really, really weird sci-fi where they have this discovery that, you know, human beings are sleeping in this whole another realm, but their minds are in this computer program. And there is a, a time where this young, young guy who's a strong character, the main character of the entire film, named Neo, is told to wake up. And so I'm going to show you a quick film of it if you've never seen it. It's, uh, it's interesting. In the theater, that would really wake you up when it was really loud. Wow, it's really dark in here. <laughs> it was a very, you know, dark part of the film where the, the lights were off because he was trying to sleep. But the point of it is, is that he's to wake up to the reality that he's actually sleeping. And he's in this, this computer program. And you looked at the, that old computer keyboard. Many of you have never seen one like that because uh, it is from the 90s. But the point is that I'm trying to make is that we in American church and the Western church, we find ourselves sleeping as well. Christian, uh, nominal Christianity and cultural Christianity have kind of taken over the church where there is this sense of we just claim Christianity without actually surrendering to Christ, where many would say, yes, I'm a Christian. Many would say, oh, you know, it's culturally acceptable in certain parts of the world to be Christian. And there's other places where it's not culturally acceptable. But we have this, this sense of sleepiness in the church. And so we're going to be talking about waking up and being revived this morning. Because the church is in desperate need of revival today. And the world needs a church that is awake the world needs a church that is awake. So how can we wake up and be revived? We're going to be reading Revelation 3, verses 1 through 6. Now, there are times when you come to a passage in Scripture as a pastor that you're called to preach, and you're like, do I really have to preach that? This is one of those ones. 
And that's why I don't generally do topical preaching because I can cherry pick what I want to teach on and what I don't want to teach on. But when you go right through a book of scripture, you kind of got to deal with what shows up in that passage. And so today we will be looking at Revelation 3, 1 through 6 and looking at how we can wake up and be revived. If you have your Bible with you, please open up to Revelation chapter 3. Uh, it'll be on the screen for you as well, and if you're online, you could just read it on the screen. The word of the Lord. And to the angel of the church in Sardis write, The words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I, I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Remember then what you received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. Yet you still have a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments, and I will never blot his name out from the book of life. I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches." Now again, this is not one of those fun passages to read, and it's not one of those fun passages to preach through. And many of us, like myself, as we're reading through this and, and exegeting properly the Scripture, our toes are going to get stepped on a little bit. We might get a little bit frustrated or a little bit angry, but if you find yourself welling up with something inside of you, I want you to ask the Spirit, is this conviction? Because it very well may be. As we read through this passage and, and unpack what the, the Holy Spirit is saying to us, it can be a little bit uncomfortable. And we have to look at the, the context of Sardis as well. And this is where we have to see what is Jesus really saying? What is the context of what is happening in this church and in this city? And the city of Sardis was a, a well-known, wealthy city. It was one of those cities that was looked at as a militarily impenetrable city. It was up on a ridge, and you could see down, and there was just no way to take over this city except one way. There was a small path that would go up into the city that many uh, of, the, of the soldiers of Sardis were supposed to be watching. There were supposed to be watchmen who were there making sure that there was no infiltration into the city from other enemies that would come in and try and destroy the city. Well, this city that was supposed to be impenetrable fell two times to military conquering. And the reason was is because those who were supposed to be watching the path fell asleep and were taken unaware by the enemy who snuck in and took over their land. And so you will see some of this context is specifically to the city of Sardis. And what Jesus is saying to them is to try and reawaken their mind to what happened in Sardis and as a city and say, this is about to happen to you as a church. And so it's, it's very, very in your face, kind of using the history of the city against the people 
in the church to say, have you learned nothing? And also, clothing was very important in the city of Sardis, and that is why Jesus will use the issue of white garments and soiled garments. And so there's aspects of what Jesus is saying that will be very clear to the people in Sardis, because that is the city that they live in, and they've experienced what was happening. But you and I, without that context, would have no idea what Jesus is saying. So I give you that context to have an understanding, and we'll now look at Scripture and the five truths that Jesus gives us as a church that we can apply to our lives in order to wake up and be revived. And the first truth is the truth of the Spirit, because Jesus has made the power of the Holy Spirit accessible to the church today. Jesus has made the power of the Holy Spirit accessible to the church today. We see this kind of an interesting introduction where he says, I have the seven spirits of God and the seven stars in my hands. I have them. Now, that might be very confusing. What is he actually saying? And the seven churches, the seven stars are the seven churches. But what are these seven spirits of God? What does that mean? Well, it means the perfect work of the Holy Spirit himself. Seven is an image of perfection that happens in Scripture over and over again. It could also mean the completeness, the total work of. And so here what he is saying, Jesus is telling the church, I have given the whole work of the Holy Spirit to the church. They're together as I have them and hold them. Osborne, a great commentator, makes this statement. He said, this details the complete and adequate, adequate work of the Spirit in the community. The church of Sardis, nearly dead, can be revived only if the Spirit takes over and Christ has the power of the Spirit available to them. And so he opens up this wonderful, condemning, hard word to the church in Sardis by saying, everything I'm about to say after this, can only be done by the power of the Holy Spirit within you. Don't try and do this without the Spirit, because I have the seven spirits, the complete work of the Holy Spirit, and the seven churches in my hand. If you follow and obey the work and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, you will find yourself waking and being revived. You see, what was happening in the church in Sardis, they were leaning on their past. There was a past history of what God had done in the church in Sardis. As they began, they were strong Christians, passionate about the work of Jesus, passionate about what Christ had done, and they had an image, a reputation, a view of being a good Christian community. But Jesus is challenging them not to pay attention to the past, but to pay attention to the present. Because we can dwell so much on the past that we miss what we are to do today. And we might have had glory in the past, but now things are rough and tough and we're trying to you know, look back to the good old days. I think often in the Western church, we can get really stuck on how good it was or how we used to be important as churches and pastors in our communities where that is no longer the case. And we can bemoan that for so much time that we miss being in the present, doing the present mission of what Jesus is calling us to 
today. We can't keep pointing back. We must look at right now. Because strength is in surrender to the Spirit. Stagnation is staying stuck in the past. If we're stuck in the past, we can't move forward. It's like driving where you're looking out the rearview window rather than the windshield. That is not a safe way to drive unless you, you know, forgot that. (laughs) It's not. To move forward, we must look through the windshield to see where God is taking us, where God is leading us, surrendering to the Spirit, not remaining stagnant as we get stuck in the past. And so Jesus is reminding them, the past was really good in Sardis, but that's not who you are right now. You're not paying attention to the reality of now, Sardis. You have to look at where you are. And the second truth is the truth of salvation. Salvation comes through Christ, not by claiming to be a Christian. Salvation comes through Christ, not by claiming to be a Christian. Now, why is this important? How do you get this point, Pastor, from this letter? Well, he says that you have a reputation of you, of of being alive, but you are actually dead. And this word that Jesus is giving the church in Sardis is a really hard word. It is not an easy word for this church to hear. Jesus is not pulling any punches with this church. And that's why when you look at this passage, when I was preparing the message, I was like, oh, do I really have to preach that? This is, it's not a fun one. I mean, none of this has really been fun, right? As you look at the the churches in Revelation. But this one, I think, is the hardest word to all of the churches outside of what he says to Laodicea in a couple of weeks. Here's what he's saying. The word no, as we've walked through, through all of these churches, is the Greek word oida, and it means to understand or be intimately acquainted with. Jesus knows the hearts of the people in Sardis. He's aware of where they really are. He's not shocked at where they are in their life. He's not like, oh, uh, man, uh, I had no idea Sardis was in such a bad place. No, he's sharing with them, listen, you might think that you've got everyone fooled, but you can't fool me. You might think you're alive, but you're actually dead. You need to wake up. And here he uses the Greek word for reputation, and it is onoma, and it means proper name of an entity, the classification under which one belongs, or it can be reputation. When I look at this passage and and I unpack what the Greek is saying and look at all kinds of different commentaries in the context of what Jesus is saying about death and life, those are usually contrasted with salvation and non-salvation, Christian and not Christian. And so as we look at this passage, he's saying, you have the title of Christian, but you're actually not Christian. What? That is not an easy word. He says you have this claim where you name yourself as Christian, but if you look at the fruits of your life, if you were to really look deep into your heart, you've never surrendered to Jesus as your Lord. You've only named yourself. You are a Christian in name only. You are not 
saved. You are dead, although you talk about being alive. This is a hard word that sadly I think is true of the Western church as well. Where many will come to church and they think that coming to church or being born into a Christian home is what brings them to salvation. Those are good things. Walking into a Christian home, being taught the reality of the gospel and the truth of who we are as people, as Christians. But if you've never surrendered your heart, repented and confessed to Jesus as Lord, you're not a Christian. And here he's trying to remind the church where you were, do you not remember the story, the truth of the gospel, the fullness of salvation? You call yourself something that you are not. You say you're alive, but you are dead. There's a, an old preacher who said that, that God has no grandchildren. And what that means is, is that he only has children. And so if my parents are saved and they know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, just because they're saved, I can't claim it for myself. It is a personal decision. And so as you look at this story of the church in Sardis, they were gathering together as a church, claiming Christianity, but not actually being saved. Ouch. That is a hard hard word. I know this isn't one of the notes that you're to write down, but I encourage you to write this down. We can't claim Christ without surrender to Christ. You can't claim Christ without surrender to Christ because it's about Him and His work. When we confess and repent of our sins, realizing that we need a Savior, that we cannot save ourselves, and we turn to Him as our Lord and Savior, and that's the surrender. Saying, I give my life to you. I give my future. I step into the reality that I need you as my Lord and Savior. That's when we realize we have life. And when you step into that and you have the life of the gospel beating within your soul, you are a transformed, changed, different person. You can't keep walking in the same way you used to live because it is so transformative. And that's where we have to look inside and say, have I been changed? Have I surrendered fully to Christ or have I just named myself something that I'm actually not? Verse 4 continues this idea where Jesus states, you have still a few who have not soiled their garments. There are some who have been cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ and made white as snow. The whole church is not filled with dirt or poop stained people. Because soiled, you know, if you soil your pants, it's not just wiping dirt on them. It's a lot more stinky than that. And he's saying, the whole church isn't filled with non-Christians. But there are some who need to live back into the truth of the Word of God, who need to wake up and preach the gospel to the church because the church is almost spiritually dead. That is a hard word. 
There are people who are walking around in the church in Sardis who are soiled and dirty and need the cleansing work of the Holy Spirit through Christ's death and resurrection. Wall says this, Evidently, this is a congregation content with spiritual mediocrity, even though in desperate need of the revitalizing power of the paraclete of the exalted Christ, the Holy Spirit, the one who raised Christ from the dead, will raise your dead life to life. Your deadness can be brought to life Empowered and imbued by the Holy Spirit of God because Christ died for you. The death that you and I deserved, Christ took upon the cross for us. And he's challenging those who are in the church. Listen, you know the truth. You have some people in your church who have white robes. Get out there and tell the people who have soiled robes that their robes are soiled. Don't let them pretend or think that they're saved. Please, oh please, oh please. He's trying to get them. He's pleading with them. A.W. Tozer said, If the Holy Spirit was withdrawn from the church today, 95% of what we do would go on and no one would know the difference. If the Holy Spirit had been withdrawn from the New Testament church, 95% of what they did would stop, and everybody would know the difference. That's also harsh. (laughs) My friends, we need to be a people who surrender to Christ, who don't just say, oh, I'm a Christian, I go to church. No, his church does not save you. Claiming to be a Christian does not save you. Only Jesus Christ is your Savior and Lord. And I know that many of you know that, and many of you have been walking in that truth, but not all of us have. I think of the wonderful testimony of Diane Stallman. I remember if you guys were here when she was baptized and she shared the truth of where she thought she was a Christian, but realized the Holy Spirit said, you're not. And she changed her life and gave over to Jesus Christ, and she is a changed, transformed person today. That's a powerful testimony that I think many of us need to remember because the Christian life is not about comfort, but rather conviction, confession, challenge, and life change. Life change. Life change. Wake up. Which brings us to the third truth, and that truth is the truth of awakening. Wake up to your inner deadness and be ready for Christ's return. Be ready for Christ's return. See, the leaders in this church were allowing this church to slip slower and slower and slower into death, not bringing about the truth of God's Word. It reminds me of Josiah, where they had no idea about the Word of God, and King Josiah discovered the Word of God, and they pulled it out of the dusty closet, and everybody was convinced and convicted of their dirtiness and need for the cleansing of the Lord. I think we live in an era where we need more Josiahs to pull the Word out of the dusty closet and bring the Word of God and the truth of the gospel, rather than just saying nice little things that make people feel good. We need to be awake. Now, here's where I might step on some people's toes a little bit. Because when we come to this word awake, 
And we see this wake up, O sleeper, in Scripture. There has been a false teaching that does not exegete this properly. They utilize this as a passage that many YouTube pastors utilize to get people all riled up and angry and, and fearful of what's happening. And they say, awake to what's happening in the culture. The signs of the times are near. And there are tons of Christians who are walking around angry, walking around fearful, walking around saying, oh, oh God, <laughs> I gotta go to the mountains. But here, the, the beauty of the truth of Christ coming and the end times, and we see these things happening, we should start saying, Jesus is coming. Rather than, <laughs> any teaching that creates fear and anger rather than the beauty of Jesus is false teaching. Because Paul says specifically to Timothy, he says to Timothy, do not get all riled up in these silly cyclical conversations that happen or these Jewish myths and these things that people just keep talking about. Leave those alone because it's a waste of time. It's distracting from the mission of Jesus Christ. You'll sit and have these circular talks and the enemy's loving it because the church isn't doing anything. Except arguing or looking at, you, you know, more news and YouTube and taking all their time looking at, oh, here's the sign, here's the sign. Oh. Rather than saying, Jesus, it's time for mission. The book of Revelation was not written for us to sit down with and try and pick out all the different things that are going to be happening. It's for us to be prepared that Jesus will return. And part of that preparation is hastening the day of Jesus' return. Where we are called to be people on mission, not called to be people who are just stuck behind our computers and trying to read everything that's happening and trying to discern the times. Because here's what happens. Jesus is coming. We don't know when he's coming. We don't know how he's coming. Jesus is coming. And that's all that matters. Jesus is coming. Amen? Amen. And if you look at Jesus' example of life, I know I'm getting real passionate about this. I'm sorry, I'm not yelling. I'm just... I'm not yelling at anyone. I just want everyone to know that. Just super passionate. Because it breaks my heart. We do. It's about the mission. It's about Jesus. It's about proclaiming the good news. Being on mission for him. Jesus' anger was consistently for the religious leaders who were just leading people in a circle not proclaiming the coming of the Messiah and having eyes to see Jesus when he arrived. This idea of awake in the scriptures is consistently an eschatological reality of finding and being prepared for Jesus. Osborne states, Jinnamai, which is the word here that we see for awake, is often used eschatologically to depict the spiritual watchfulness that is necessary to be ready for Christ's return. We see passages of Scripture that say that, and it speaks of the danger of believers reducing their full commitment to God through Christ and of allowing themselves to be seized by things of lesser value. How much do we get seized by things of lesser value? 
How often when we are trying to discern the times do we just get stuck with our nose in books and watching the news and we're not actually on mission for Jesus? We're not going out and proclaiming the truth. Now, it's not bad for us to recognize, wow, you know, this looks very, very similar to what Jesus talked about. Here are all these things that are happening, that are transpiring. It, it's not bad for us to say, wow, this kind of looks this kind of looks like it's the time. But that's not for the purpose of fear or freaking out or yelling and screaming and running around and having all caps on your Facebook. It's for you to go out into the world and say, Jesus is coming. Do you know Jesus? This should inspire us to mission, not to craziness. One of the sad statistics that we've seen since COVID is that local pastors are not as trusted anymore as YouTube pastors. The pastors who walk alongside people in love and care, who have counseled and listened to every aspect of someone's life are mistrusted by most pe- more people than YouTube preachers are. And I think part of it is because these YouTube guys are speaking what everybody wants to hear, riling everybody up. And, you know, the news is based off of fear-mongering, not always the truth, right? Same with these dudes. How can we create chaos in the church? How can we create people angry and mad? And, you know, the enemy uses that to take people off of mission. Revelation is to point us to mission because a church on mission to proclaim Christ is a church that is awake. Amen? Jesus said, if you want my return to come, you will proclaim the good news to the entire world, and then I will come. Which, in our denomination, we believe that we have the opportunity and the blessing to hasten the day of Jesus' return. Amen? So why aren't we doing it? We're distracted by, we're distracted by lesser things. I don't think it's necessarily fear. I think it's distraction. Fear is part of that distraction. And we need to go preach and teach the goodness of Jesus Christ. Whew, this is exciting. Wearsby states, it's when the church leaders and members get accustomed to their blessings and complacent about their ministry, i.e. missions, that the enemy finds his way in. This is that watchfulness, being prepared. What is happening that is false and what is happening that is true? My friends, again, I don't want anyone to think I'm yelling. I'm just so passionate and broken about where we are. The American church is not ready for the return of Christ. We're not. We're too distracted. We're just too invested in lesser things than the truth of the gospel. Our lives should reflect the beauty of Jesus Christ. Our lives should reflect our surrendered life to Christ. Our fruit should be out there for the world to see the reality of the gospel that has changed us. But we've become complacent. We are not awake. We are sleeping. Strengthen what remains, he says, which means there are some people in the church that are alive. Strengthen them. Those of you who are there alive, bring life back to the church. You have the spirit whom I've given you. Bring that alive nature back to the church. We're called to do this. The fourth truth is the truth of remember, receive, and repent. 
because we are to remember the truth we received, repent of sin, and live out the truth. Many claimed salvation in this church, but they were not saved. The word remember in the Greek, Osborne gives a little bit of help. He says, remember here demands a continual recall and actualization of the past truths that have been taught. It is not just bringing these realities to mind, but putting them into practice in their lives. Listen, you can know all there is in your mind about theology, about doctrine, about truth. But if it is never translated from your mind to your heart, you've not been saved. That's why I constantly pray that we don't just learn something new, but we become someone new. That we allow it to affect the depths of our soul, not just be able to repeat things that we know. It needs to be intrinsically transforming. The work of Jesus is transformative. It changes us. And here, those who are not living alive, he is saying, please repent. Those of you who have allowed the church to just dwindle into this false belief of nominal Christianity, repent of that sin, move forward, remember the message that you received in the beginning. This is only two generations away from the planting of this church. Two generations, and they've already slipped back into sleepiness. Remember what you've received. Return, repent. We need to do that. As individuals and as churches, we need to return to what the Lord has for us. And when we, these three things are in place, revival that, on, that only the Spirit can empower will break out. Did you know that Jesus desires a church revived and a church alive? Not a church asleep. Not a church that's just complacent to go through the motions. Not a church distracted by all the things that can distract us. But looking at the truth of the gospel. Many of you hopefully are in this place where the Spirit of God is speaking to you and saying, yeah, you've been distracted. Yeah, you've been complacent. The Holy Spirit is knocking on the door of your heart, saying maybe you've just been Christian in name only. Have you surrendered your all, confessed and repented of your sin, and turned to Him as your Lord and Savior? I hope the Holy Spirit's doing some work. Repent. Remember what he has done. Receive the truth of the gospel. And turn back to him. Be alive and awake. Be revived. The fifth truth is the truth of overcoming. Rewards await the one who overcomes. The word conquer here in Greek is nikao, and it means to win in the face of obstacles, to conquer, to overcome. Osborne states, in this context, it means to refuse to accommodate the Christian walk to pagan demands. That is, to refuse to soil your garments. Thus, Christ is saying, the Sardian faithful of 3-4 are overcomers and will receive the rewards promised to the victorious. And this is beautiful. That we can be people who overcome because we have the Holy Spirit. Remember, Jesus began this by saying, it's the Holy Spirit and the church together. We can overcome. We don't have to stay stuck. This is good news. 
He doesn't just say to the church in Sardis, well, you know, you're dead. Peace out. Goodbye. See you later. Or not. No, he encourages them to become awake, to be overcomers, to find their names in the book of life. Man, this is powerful. Like I said, it, it's one of those passages of Scripture you're just like, oh, man, this is really tough. This is really hard. I have to do a lot of inter internal reflection when I read this passage of Scripture. Because what he means by life worthy, we see this in the, the book of Ephesians as well. When we live a life worthy, it means that our life is in line with our beliefs, that our life is changed, that we're living out that which we believe. Worthy lives is this sense of putting it into balance, where what I believe transforms how I live. Is that our story? Do we see fruit in our lives? That's the challenge. Sardis, after two generations, was seeing no fruit. And a tree that's supposed to produce fruit and does not produce fruit is near death. So let us be challenged. Because living a life in line with the gospel gives evidence to our future hope. The world needs a church awake. The church needs to be revived. You want to see this world transformed for the goodness of Jesus? Do you? May we be awake. May we live the gospel life. No longer sleeping. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the goodness of the gospel the truth of the transformative nature of what you've given to us in Christ. Holy Spirit, I pray that you will speak to our hearts this morning. If you're doing business with our hearts, don't let us leave this place without dealing with it. I thank you. This is a convicting word for me, for all of us. Be with us. In your name, amen.